I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the rain room Diminishing the doubts are behind ya It's hard to grind in the business Got me stressed in the rent room We let that shit up off our chest Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards It's all about the crap of screenwriting It's exciting when you turn an outline Into something enlightening Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun Write what you feel, say what you want Welcome to the rent room Hey listeners, before we dive into this week's podcast I wanted to let you know this is an independent podcast and we're doing this podcast all on our own so we can deliver the content and get the guests that we know will help you with your creative journey. And that means we don't have the financial backing or the marketing and promotional tools that Wondery or iHeartRadio or Gimlet might assist us with. Now, we want to continue giving you game from the Hollywood trenches. So we ask that you help us out. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that review button. Definitely hit that review button and download these episodes. Post links on your social media. Tell everyone you know and support our Patreon for only $1 a month. Find the link at screenwritersrr.com or patreon.com forward slash screenwriters rant room. And if you already are a subscriber, we love you. No, we really do. And we appreciate you listening. So let's get on with the show. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it 2023, y'all. Yeah, on this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Chris Derrick is out today, but we got a dope show for y'all. So if you guys are grown, let's go ahead and get into the show. So today we got my man, bam, 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 look at that, intro, Jack. <laughs> Sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Garnett, y'all, writer, producer himself, out here doing some big things. We're going to get into his story and hear what he's been up to. How you doing, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I missed the cue for, to say keeping it 2023. Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. I always, you, you, you usually leave a little <laughs> bit of space for that. So I do. That, I do. You know. It's just me, so I don't, I don't yeah, always yeah. anticipate all my guests <laughs> remember that, so uh, I don't always tell everybody to do it, but uh, we'll do it together at the end. Yes. For yes. sure. For sure. For sure. But uh, I'm doing good, man, you know, out here. Walking in circles, trying to figure out uh, when we are going to get a fair deal, when we're going to get back to the table. So, I know. mean, is it ever a fair deal? It's fair for somebody. <laughs> 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 but, you know, we're, we're, it's a marathon. I keep telling people, like the younger folks that hadn't been through 07, 08, I'm like, it's right. a marathon. You know, you can do all the rah-rah stuff that's great, but it's the consistency that right. we need. And uh we're getting it. There's sure. still people coming out, and it's it's still the spirits are still high. I feel like on the lines. It's still um, like you know, there's still all these events you know happening. You know, <clears throat> I do worry that people are going to get a little tired of all the events and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like we got one coming up. You probably saw we're going to do a Juneteenth, but it's actually going to be on the 20th at yeah. Paramount. Mm-hmm. Um, the that's going to be the Committee of Black Writers and the African American Steering Steering Committee yeah. doing one. So I'm actually putting together a flyer for that now. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, you know, there's like a black and Latin one next week. There's like yeah. so many. There was a Beyonce one at Radford <laughs> yesterday. Purple, purple. With there was a, a there was a Prince one yeah, the day yeah, before. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. you know it does keep things interesting. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> and keeps people coming out, which is all, which is the, basically it. The problem with the black one I found mm-hmm. is that every step I took, I knew somebody. So I wasn't really <laughs> picketing that much. I was more just like having conversations, but it was great. That The one good thing about the strike mm-hmm. is that you do get to like, literally I see people from 20 years ago when I was a writer's PA right. to like people that I worked on a show with last year. So you see the gamut of people throughout your career that you kind of run into. Yeah, and uh, like Bianca and I were talking about this the other day with Barrett, my other co-chairs of uh, the Black Committee, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we were talking about how are we going to keep the traffic moving. Yeah. And <laughs> honestly, and it's just me. I'm just talking about me in general. Mm-hmm. I'm not the big person who's big on walking. Yeah. Circles. <laughs> this is not me. Now I've done it. Yeah. Every time I've been out somewhere, I walked around at least two or three times the uh-huh. entire thing, and then I'm like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. I'm gonna stand around and say, hey, to being the mayor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? I know everybody yeah. for but so I'm just you know, this yeah. is what I do, and so I enjoy it more that way. Mm-hmm. I did see, and, and we'll get into you in a minute, but mm-hmm. that's why we call the rant room because we go off <laughs> some shit. Exactly. Let's do it. But but I did see some somebody posted something on Facebook on like on one of our Writers Guild posts. Yeah. <clears throat> and they asked the strike captains. Are you a strike captain? I can't no, I'm. Are you just out there every day? I'm just out like, there. Damn. I'm just out okay. there. Ain't got nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> ain't got no job. <laughs> ain't got no job. It's Friday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, but somebody posted asking, they thought it was weird that the strike captains don't go out of their way to like be the mayor and say hey to Mm. people, as opposed to you having to go up to them, or not the strike captain, like the people they see who are on the board and stuff like that, like they're just walking around. So Mm -hmm. she was saying that she feels weird about going up to approach them because then she just looks like some, you know, regular whatever. And and Liz Alper came in and said something I thought was really clever, and I'm just paraphrasing, Mm -hmm. that she was basically saying it's probably better for you to approach than it is for them, actually, because they're on First of all, especially, you know, in those situations. Right. And 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 if you're walking around with your earbuds on, I'm probably not gonna interrupt you. You're telling me you don't want to be interrupted if you're wearing right. earbuds. 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I actually thought that I was just curious your thoughts. I think I mean I feel the same way. Like they can't walk up to everybody that they see because yeah. there's hundreds of people out there. So but they are all approachable. Like right. Eric Haywood, who you know, mm-hmm. like I saw him a couple times and had a little conversation about the thing, mm-hmm. was leaving the picket couple days ago i saw david goodman Mm -hmm. he sat there and talked with us for five minutes just about the vibe of what's going on and whatnot Mm -hmm. and i think at this point we all know what it is like we all know what's going on you can have your opinions about the dga and what they've done you can have your sort of read the tea leaves about what sag is going to do but like nobody knows what sag is going to do until they do it yeah and then we will react to that and we'll keep going you know but at the end of the day there are certain things that are writer specific that we need to address. Yep. Like we've addressed healthcare and span and all these other things in the past. There's new threats. There's new things. There are common interests in, in certain areas right. and certain areas where it's like, no, this is our fight. This is our collective <laughs> union fight. And Thanks. like we went to the rally downtown with all the people mm-hmm. from the wait, um, wait, hotels. Wait, wait, was DJ not there? I'm sorry. Was... Uh, I'd have to go back <laughs> in my notes. I, I don't recall. recall. I remember Teamsters, I remember us, I remember mm-hmm. SAG. I see, like everybody I-O-T. was there, but mm, interesting. Hmm. <clears throat> um, they were getting their deal. So. Yeah, I heard they were in the middle of the stuff, so they didn't want to interfere, and that's fine. I get it for mm. the most, most. For the most part. 
part of it, but just how supportive they were leading up to that just felt odd all of a sudden. Yeah. Our big event, they weren't even there. It just It's interesting. The same way you want to give, acknowledge the people who have helped you in your career, the people whose backs you're standing on. Right. You know, if you're if you're leveraging somebody else, you kind of want to give them a little bit of a shout out, a little bit of a heads up. You could have waited a day for the SAG authorization. Oh, they would never. But you know, we love we love our directors. We still do. You know, I would have. You know, I had a two movies that I was supposed to be directing that I would have been in the DGA right now if, uh-huh. had they have gone. So I'm definitely somebody who strives to want to be in the DGA, mm-hmm. <clears throat> just like people strive to be want to be in our Writers Guild. You yeah. know what I mean? So I'm not against it, but they do. It does tend to be that they make decisions that affect us. Yes. I mean, you know, it is very much, They, I feel like they have the film director mindset. Oh, yeah. Wait, you think? <laughs> as, a general, as a general rule, <laughs> as opposed to the, the TV directors who are very collaborative and Correct. wonderful and we love. And the film ones, you know, they have a different mindset. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, on that note, <laughs> you think we could talk about this shit all day. Strike talk. So um, we got Kevin Garnett here, man. Again, thank you for coming through. Absolutely. Um, Bradley just took a brother to lunch. You know, he didn't even owe me lunch, but he claimed he owed me I lunch. I did owe you lunch because <laughs> those who listen to the podcast need to know I was pitching something, uh, was in the middle of sort of reshaping the pitch, and I saw the thing that you guys did on just pitching. You had like a mm-hmm. two-parter, Probably. I think, on pitching, yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah. you know what, let me just go back through this, see if I can pick up any jewels. Even if you a, get one thing, that's Even if the you key, get right? one thing. Yeah. And, and was it the difference in selling the pitch? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. You know, I bought you lunch, so maybe it was. Uh, <laughs> but like, you know. You don't know he owed me three more. He me <laughs> but no matter where you are in your career, you have to be in, in a position to say, I can still learn something. Not that you have to listen to every podcast or whatever, but yep. if the tea leaves are lying and you're like, Hey, I'm working on a pitch, and hey, I'm scrolling through these old episodes. Right. Here's one on pitching. Let me just go through and make mm-hmm. sure all my boxes are checked. Right. And oh, here's here's a jewel that I didn't that I didn't think about. Let me apply that. Help turn my thing up a little bit. Right. Put me over the top. And there you go. I think <clears throat> the thing that interests me the most about <laughs> this is what we call the right one <laughs> about the pitching side of it all mm-hmm. is. Some of us are used to hearing a pitch a certain way, right? Right. As somebody who's heard lots and lots and lots of pitches, I'm used to hearing it in a certain, they usually start off. You ever imagine a world where there's blah, 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 right? Some people are, like I'm a stats person. I always start off and say, uh, did you know that in the 1800s there was this thing? Mm-hmm. What if I was to tell you this thing? You know what I mean? I'm, right. I'm keeping something on your brain, right? Mm-hmm. I'm always trying to give you a stat, something that I'll fill in the blank on in the middle, and I'll finish it in the end. Yeah. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and so that way it keeps my through line of what it was I was trying to do. It's almost like, here's my thing. Right. <laughs> and it, I mean? it also just keeps them engaged as you remind them of that question or right. whatever it is. Like, you're sort of checking in to say, hey, mm-hmm. I know at least you were paying attention at the beginning. Right. Let me remind you that you still need to be paying attention as I run through this <laughs> exactly, thing. Like, exactly. It's a little check-in. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing that I think most people miss in pitches is, number one, their tie-in and how to move from transition to transition. People yeah. just go, and that brings us to the pilot. The pilot is, uh-uh. I'm having a conversation with you. So I'm usually telling you, mm-hmm. and I try to do it. I do things a little differently than a lot of people. For example, 
I I try not to have like here's 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 what I mean. Mm-hmm. There's two different examples of the pitch, right? You have the pitch that's written down, and you have the pitch you actually say, right? Right, which you've heard me say. Mm-hmm. The thing you've written down is written very uh, uh, what's the word clinically. Sometimes it can be robotic. Yeah. Yes, the thing you say is much more. So then this happens. Yo, you're going to dig this shit right here. Yeah. You're having a conversation. You're talking to them. Mm-hmm. On paper, it says the character is six foot five and blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you say it, you're like, imagine Will Smith is blah, 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 blah. You yeah. see, it's different. Yeah. You know and there, I, mean? I mean, and in certain instances, I know it's helpful if you don't want to be too prescriptive with it to write down bullet points. So exactly. I know I can riff off of this or I can riff off right. of that. There's also people who feel like, look, they're buying you, but they're also buying your ability to write. So if you can be precise with the words, right. that's important too. I, and I've done it different ways. I've been, I had a pitch once on a feature where every time I was at lunch at this job, I would just say it to myself. Mm-hmm. Right? And I didn't have it memorized, but it was as I kept walking mm-hmm. over the months that I was sort of getting ready for it, it was like, okay, and I can add this part. And it was almost like a, how sta- a lot of stand-ups Right. do their routines. They may not write anything down, but they'll go over it and go over it and mm-hmm. sort of edit it in their heads so that it feels very organic, very natural the way you would speak. And I, and I think the biggest thing, and you've heard me say this, is <clears throat> people forget their tie-in to the story. Just because mm-hmm. you're doing something about robots doesn't mean you can't explain how you grew up, you know, uh, take it, tearing your computer apart. Right. You know what I mean? That is somebody I get why you're doing it. You see what I mean? You got to figure out, you know, what your story is and how do you like I've never drank alcohol in my life, Mm -hmm. but I might be doing a story about an alcoholic and tell you about my sister's boyfriend when I was a kid. You see what I mean? Those are the things you just got to pull it into you. And And, go ahead. Yeah. And even sometimes you have to sort of you can embellish those things because it's also just it's also just something that they want to feel like. Anybody could write this, so why is it you that's going to write it? What is your connection to it? What are you going to bring to it that's different? What sort of theme or perspective do you have that the last guy that was in here sitting in that chair did not have? And how do they, as the producer or the buyer, how do they connect with that? Because if they can see themselves in it, then they're like, okay, other people are going to be able to see themselves in it because I can't. So what happened to this pitch you did? Uh, what happened to the... Which can the, you say? Well, the one that I took the advice from mm-hmm. you, we actually sold it. Wait, wait, wait. Where my ends at? Where my 10%? <laughs> you just got your 10% <laughs> on uh, some pancakes across the street. See how they do, brothers? Like, I give them just enough. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we sold it. Uh, awesome. We haven't announced any... We're not announcing anything yet, mm-hmm. but sold it to a streamer. Nice. Uh, have some nice EPs attached to it. And, uh, you know, once this thing is over, we're going to jump back in and try to get this thing on the air. That's what's up. I love it. Or in the stream. Now, here, I might have a job. Who knows? Who knows? we got to get a room. You know, I'm gonna, either you or Chat GPT will be, <laughs> will be in that chair. <laughs> and you, you probably heard me say, I have a feeling if we go the way Billy Ray is saying it's going to go, where let's just say there's you and your other EPs and, you know, uh-huh. maybe one other writer or two and the assistant then they're going to have you guys blue sky everything, mm-hmm. get it all set, and then have chat GT, GPT or whatever write 
the episode. You guys clean it up. You yeah. go to you go to production. Everybody else goes home. <laughs> you know, you clean up the scripts. Right. And I think we're going to be editors. We're not going to be called then, writers. And then you you go to the hospital because <laughs> you are can't, trying to carry the load of Facts. ten to to sixteen episodes yes. by yourself mm-hmm. without even anyone to sort of bounce stuff off of besides Hal or, or <laughs> Skynet or whatever you want to call it. Like, Just put it in and tell them to do it. It'll tell you. Yeah, It'll help you. <laughs> you tell know, them to give you 12 ideas. It'll do like it. Like we were talking about before, like there's so many things where you need, like if you have a producer, uh, a co-EP or a supervising mm-hmm. who's great with post and you can like put them in charge of post or yep. put them in, even in charge of ADR or right. whatever it is, whatever you can do to take the load off of that showrunner mm-hmm. is huge. Like the one thing that I've been able to do in my career when I have been on staffs is sort of like to try to find the thing, like we were saying, try to find the thing that other people don't want to do. Be the first one to raise your hand. Fall that, on that, that sword <clears throat> and figure out how you could be of service to the showrunner so that at the end of the day, they look at you and see you as a problem solver and not just a problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you said that because I agree with you. There's not one room you have been in where at some point the showrunner or number two, whoever's running the room at that point, might say, hey, guys, we need somebody to, you know, look up such and such. We need somebody to do whatever, the, whatever some weird mm-hmm. shit is that nobody wants to do. Right. The thing that nobody raises their hand for is the thing nobody expects to be great for the most part. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. If nobody wants to do it. So mm. when you turn it in and you raise your hand to do it, everybody's like, oh, he did that thing. Uh, and if it is great, you get all the kudos. Exactly. And <laughs> you then you get, and especially when you're coming up, right. then you're going to get more work. You're going you're gonna to show yourself to be valuable right. and they're going to like start to rely on you, which is a great, you want to be that third leg on that triangle right. table so that if they take you away, the whole thing falls apart so that when it comes time to negotiate, <laughs> that the other people in the room are fighting for you. Yeah, give that person that bump right. because we absolutely need them. We yeah. need them on set. We need them in the room. We need yeah. them in post, all that sort of stuff. That's awesome. So let's go back and tell everybody, you from Chicago? I'm from Naperville, Illinois. Same thing. It's not, the the same, it's not the same thing, but I, I represent from Naperville. How far is that from Chicago? It's like a half hour west. By okay. If you've seen Wayne's World, it's yeah. by Aurora, which is where. Oh, so you in the burbs and shit. Yes, sir. Oh, Great okay. public schools, you know. All right. <laughs> All that you can't even claim thing. the hood. Look at it. I, I'm not, you know. <laughs> listen, like uh, who said it was, uh, I think it was Pharrell mm-hmm. who said, there were some thugs outside of the out of the studio or something. He was like, "Oh, I will snitch. Like, don't. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far." That's but <laughs> Ooh, teacher's pet. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm from uh, outside of Chicago, Naperville. We, my dad worked for Xerox, so we ended up moving around a lot when I was a kid. Okay. So junior high and high school, we were out there in Naperville, and then I played football and did well in school. Followed my brother out to Stanford. And was out there for five years, played football. Did you play uh, st- f- football for Stanford? Played football for Stanford wow, back nice. in the early 90s. So we were, um, this was when we had John Lynch, who's in the Hall of Fame now. Mm-hmm. Was, I played behind him. How weird is that <laughs> to see your friends go off? <laughs> it's weird. because It was funny because growing up, I was a big Chicago Bears fan, 85 okay. Bears, all the that. The Bears. But then, <laughs> that's right. And then, but when I, like my, my fourth year, my brother 
um, went to play with Minnesota. Ah, he made it. So like all the, and, and a bunch of my friends were in the league. So like all of my allegiances to teams mm-hmm. kind of broke down. It was just like okay, I'm rooting for my friends and right. all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so so I was there for you get a fifth year. I had a fifth year for football. Okay. So when I got there, <clears throat> my parents were my dad was in corporate America. My mom was in teaching and sort of education. And so before I declared anything, I declared econ when I got there, I thinking, oh, this is what business. This is like for a business. We're in business <laughs> when I'm out of here. And um, <clears throat> as I was going along, I was like, all my other classes are kind of sociology related. So I sort of sat down with the counselor. I was like, how can I get out of here with an econ and a sociology degrees? Because it's, you know, you're on scholarship. It's all free. Yeah. Take everything I can, throw it in the bag. And then when I got the fifth year, they have a program where you can get a master's there in one year if you were undergrad in sociology. So ended up getting a master's. That, that's actually a good thing to have, I think, as a writer. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It, gives you, it gives you a good, you know, psychology gives we you the We study interior. human behavior anyway, so, I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Right? Yeah, it, it, it ended up helping. <laughs> so I ended up. <laughs> like a couple girls I was dating back in the day. <laughs> uh, but so... As I was about to do my thesis, it was like, okay, you're 22 years old. My professor was like, okay, what you should do something with whatever you like. At the time, mm-hmm. I liked football and TV. Right. So I ended up doing a thesis on African-American social status on television, mm. tracking the um, roots from like Amos and Andy and Beulah, Julia, all the shows up to mm-hmm. the mid-90s, up to the Cosby show and all that sort of thing. <clears throat> and one of the big conclusions was, for the images of people of color and minorities to change in front of the camera, there needed to be people behind the scenes working to sort of so make you sure. You was already images. on that. So I was. So that was that was the paper. I was gonna try to do a doc with it, okay. but you know that was before MacBook Pros and all this, <laughs> all this stuff. You could just do it on your laptop. So exactly. um, I ended up just writing the paper and then coming down. And I was like, I, after five years of college right. and football, which was a full-time job, I can't do any more school. <laughs> I got to get out and it starts just gotta to do. experience yeah. things and just try to do it and figure it mm-hmm. out that way. And also, you remember, it was the, it was the era. It was the mid. So it was the, it was the era. You're a vampire. You ain't been 19, 20. Look at you. <laughs> it, was the, it was the era of like Spike and John Singleton mm-hmm. and Tarantino and all those guys. So I was big on the film, wanted to come down and be get into film as opposed to TV. I think I think most of us who started in the '90s or early 2000s were doing features first, for the most part. Unless yeah. you wanted to be a comedy writer, for the most part, it seems like right. Right, that definitely was because <clears throat> you know there wasn't a huge place for us on TV right. uh, at that time, except for sort of those comedy spaces. But mm-hmm. I distinctly remember. It was Entertainment Tonight or something like that did something on She's Gotta Have It, mm. like a behind the scenes on She's Gotta Have It. And we'd we'd seen, you know, you, you knew Eddie Murphy and you knew Poitier and all these actors in front of the camera. But the thing that struck me about that piece was Spike was also behind the camera. He was the writer and the director. Mm-hmm. And as someone who was more on the introverted side of things, to see, okay, that was the first seed, I think, of like, oh, this could actually be a career. Even at, at the time, it was I was a kid and it just sort of washed over me. Mm-hmm. But that, looking back, was the seed of like, there's a place for you in this industry right. that's not in front of the camera where you're 
having to sort of, you know, actors are very bold and daring people <laughs> to be able to. No, there's no such thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the seeing Spike was like a huge, uh, impactful thing for me. See, this brings me to, I'm just going to say it because I always do. Uh we, we've had a little bit of an issue with the Image Awards hmm. through the years with the Black Committee of the Writers Guild. Oh. And um, I'm saying it because I'm hoping the more I say it, the more we'll fix it, to be honest. Okay. I'm not like sitting here trying to dog something black. Mm-hmm. So let's just be clear about that. But they don't, they don't, uh, they don't show the awards for the writers. Mm. And yeah. what did you just say? Because I saw. I saw it. Yeah. Because there that's wasn't, what's missing. That's the thing. That's true. So the year before we were having arguments, Michelle Lamore in particular, with them mm-hmm. about this through us. She was our voice. Yeah. Um, and because they would have us review their scripts and, you know, judge and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they wouldn't even pay for us to go to the freaking award shows. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like little stupid shit. Yeah. And so, so the guild had to do it and like this and this. Mm-hmm. And so what was happening was um, they wouldn't air us. So we kept saying, you guys are missing having kids know that this is a job that they could do, right. that they could see. And what happened the next year? Lena won. On not on the BET awards or on, on the, the on uh, the the Emmy. The Emmy. She yeah. won the Emmy the uh-huh. next year. That's crazy. And we were like, told y'all we could have had that moment on the Image Awards. You right. know what I mean? But we didn't. Mm-hmm. Now let's go back to that. Well, you know, they still it's, it's they don't care. And also, it's it people I'm are hoping y'all care by now. By the way. <laughs> People gravitate to the stars, to the people that they can exactly see all the time. Yep. They know that they can advertise Lena now, mm-hmm. but like a Denzel or whoever, Angela Bassett, you can put that in the commercial. If they put one of us on the commercial, it's going to be like, eh, who's that guy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're trying to sort of get the person with the highest Q store, score on the commercial. It's horrible. And sell ads. That's yeah. what it comes down to. Yeah. See, even they've turned corporate. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. no longer. It's even, not just Bob yeah. Johnson anymore. Yeah. Not that he was a socialist. He, <laughs> the man was a pure capitalist. God bless him. No, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you went to Stanford. What finally brought you to L.A., and how did you begin your writing career? So after doing the thesis and sort of figuring that there needed to be people behind the scenes, mm-hmm. I was like sort of the lightning bolt struck, and I was like, okay, I'm going down to L.A., to work in the business, had no idea to what capacity. Okay. So actually, um, my parents set up a lunch with Mike Warren from Hill Street Blues and Harold Sylvester, who's like family to me, my brother's father-in-law, both great actors, and they were sitting down, and I think they were supposed to talk me out of becoming an actor. <laughs> <laughs> so at, at the beginning of the lunch, it was kind of doom and gloom about how rough an actor's <laughs> life is, and I was like, oh, it's very interesting, but... Uh, if if there's one thing that I know for sure that I don't want to do, it's be an actor. <laughs> so um, it kind of backfired on my parents, I think. And once they found out that, um, Harold and Mike were like, "Oh yeah, you could be a you could be a prop master, you could be a development exec, you mm-hmm. could be an AD, you could be any of these things." So came down here, went to my first. I had a I had a hookup for a job interview. Uh, for a PA job on the show, on the movie Multiplicity. I don't know if you mm, remember that. that. Michael Keaton played like a bunch of different versions right, of himself. Right, right. 
and I showed up <clears throat> to the thing in a, in a shirt and tie. tie. <laughs> Coming from Stanford. <laughs> I'm like, you know, this, I'm trying to present the best. And they look, and I Hilarious. think I'm pretty sure the lady was like, yeah, nice tie. And <laughs> I did not get the job. So I was just kind of out here um, trying to figure it out. Took a class to become a PA because I didn't know. In they the had first classes thing, on being a PA back then. They had, it was like some little right. back of whatever that magazine was. <laughs> you could uh, Backstage West mm-hmm. or something like that. Yep. You, and there was like $90 for a day-long okay. class. And they put you on a uh, short to, like in, to, to be a uh, free work on a short kind okay. of PA thing. So I did a couple of those, a couple of music <clears throat> videos. Ended up on this show called Pacific Blue. Okay. As a for a trial period, they brought on two of us as interns. Mm-hmm. Said we're going to take uh, one week and we're going to decide we're going to hire one of you mm. to uh, be a PA on the show. The competition. So after the first week, we're working fifteen, sixteen hour days. Still nothing. We're into the second <laughs> week, and so they had a um, episode on the show where somebody's the show was about bicycle cops on Venice Beach. The storyline was. Tiny there were these shorts. <laughs> focus, focus. Hold on, wait a minute. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> it was uh, somebody was stealing sand from the beach, and like Squiggy from Lenny and Squiggy, Laverne right. and Shirley was on the show. He thought it was aliens, all this stuff. So anyway, they had these holes that was part of the plot, and my job on this day, this Friday, was to watch these holes in the ground huh. to make sure nobody fell in really? when they Are were they shooting big? there they were huge they were these big huge uh. crop circle type holes mm-hmm. and so i'm sitting there Boy, in my in my work yeah Damn. my early 90s gear of like outside. 80 <laughs> degrees i'm in like uh some fubu jeans and some tims or something whatever was the, <laughs> the 96 <shit. laughs> level stuff and i'm thinking i'm like i got three degrees from stanford wow. and i'm sitting here watching a hole in the ground Damn. I'm like, maybe this isn't for me. <laughs> and that day, the uh, production coordinator came to me, Therese Cathcart, wherever you are, thank you, um, came to me and said, so there's good news and bad news. <laughs> the bad news is we're hiring the other guy for the show. <laughs> but the good news is I'm going to work on this movie called Set It Off, and I want you to come with me nice. to be a PA on that. I was like, great. And Set It Off was the bank robber movie with mm-hmm. Latifah and Jada and Vivica Fox. And uh, <laughs> I ended up, I worked in the office at first and then ended up on set doing video assist. And I, and because I was still technically a PA, mm-hmm. they were like, you can't sit down. You can only sit down for half the time. You see me, the first AD, sitting down and only on Fridays. So I stood next to F. Gary Gray for the entire thing. Jesus. And this is when... Video Only assist. 14, 60 hours. Yeah, you know, I was young. Was, <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, the video assist thing was like, just like a VCR, essentially, where you had to press play and record before mm-hmm. everything, before every take, um, and keep them on these little, these little uh, tapes or whatever. We don't need that anymore, by the way. No, we don't. <laughs> um, but so at the end of that, I was looking at Gary direct this thing, mm-hmm. this you know, nine million dollar movie or whatever it was that ended up grossing, you know, forty million or whatever it was, um, and it was like this seems like a pretty cool job. And then I was like, well, no one's going to come to my little crappy apartment in Palms <laughs> and hand me a feature to direct. Right. So I need to start writing one of my own. So I started writing. Had a friend that came down, Brandon Davis. So we would always have uh, features. We'd have a feature that we were working on together. And then I would always have something on the side. 
that I was so you working guys were on. partners. We were partners. We were we were writing partners um, for my first stint out here. Um, and we still have a few things that we have working on together. And what kind of thing? What kind of things were you inspired by at that time? Like, what kind of themes were you guys writing to? Um, we were we were you know it was sort of young young guy kind of stuff. Like we did uh, crime, like drama. Like what were you doing? More about? more leaning towards the comedic or the dramedy space. Like okay. the first the first script that we really did on our own that was good that was like somewhat good mm -hmm. was this thing called cheaters mm -hmm. and it was about um two guys who have sort of they've cheated their way from elementary school up to like their last college exam and all they have to do Sounds is get familiar <laughs> <laughs> they if they get the answers to this this one last test they'll be on easy street they'll get these jobs as firemen and then life will sort of be set okay their thing falls through so they have one night to find the answers to this test that they're going to cheat on and it's their antics through the night and, right. and all that sort of stuff okay. so that was probably the first thing that we wrote that was <coughs> professionally presentable I'll say. <laughs> other things and and luckily for us we had harold sylvester right. who uh would read our early drafts of other stuff and give us no even on stuff that in retrospect, was pretty hopeless uh, material, but he gave you us notes. You gotta get through them, though. Yeah. You learned each each and every one of them. So. Yeah, and he he gave us notes on stuff, and and uh, it sort of helped us just by getting the reps of practicing of rewriting stuff, and rewriting stuff, and rewriting stuff to right. get to the point where we could come up with some material that was solid. So, um, and again, in my early days, I was <clears throat> purely focused on uh, film. So, but I did again through Therese, because uh, after working on Set It Off, I worked on a few other movies, ended up working for a director, Jonathan Lynn, for about a year when he was on post on a film. He had directed um, uh, My Cousin Vinny, was his biggest claim to fame. Was it, that's the one that was here? No, the one that was here was this one called uh, Trial and Error with okay. Jeff Daniels and uh, Michael Richards and Charlize Theron, one of her early. Um, movies so that we were on post in here learned a lot about sort of that side of things mm -hmm. and then after a year it was sort of like okay I've kind of learned what I need to hear came back and Therese um, called me up to be a writer's PA or writer's yeah writer's PA on two shows that Ed Weinberger did mm. who um, famous uh, showrunner creator he worked on Taxi and all this stuff very old school in his approach to uh, <laughs> I'm sure you learned some shit, though. Learned a, learned a ton, <laughs> um, and it was one. Of the, it was in the days when you would have like two shows. You would tape, you know, multicam. Right. You're shooting it live, and you'd have a four o'clock show and a seven o'clock show, mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And you know, like, one of my jobs was to like hand out pages in between uh, shows, and mm -hmm. I would have to go around to the actors and hand them things. And we <laughs> sometimes we'd do like three or four sets of pages just in between shows, right. and they'd be looking at me like. Wanted to be. <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm the messenger. You can, right. you can yell at me, but I did not write any of this. Um, and that was a point where I still wasn't leaning into TV at that point. I was still sort of like, I'm writing these features. Somebody's going to come down from the mountaintop and see <laughs> the brilliance that I'm creating in this yeah. little apartment <laughs> and save me from this. But um, finally, uh, I'm trying to think. Let me just ask you this right quick. How were your parents feeling about you moving into that? Because I know they were worried about you being an actor at first. But yeah. Once they discovered you weren't, were they more loosey goosey about it or what? No, they were. They were sort of like you know, they were supportive in a in a sense, but they were also sort of like, 
okay, when are you going to be ready for corporate America? <laughs> right. Don't be it, calling me for your rent, right? Yeah, it was sort of more, it was more like they thought it was sort of, I think they thought it was sort of just a like phase, phase that yeah, I was yeah. going through. Like, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to go on this little adventure in LA for a few years, <laughs> and then eventually you'll be tired of it and be ready to like get, get a corporate job kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Um, but that never happened, thankfully. Because mm-hmm. I had worked, I mean, as an econ major, I had a couple of su- su- uh, summer internships, mm-hmm. One at, at uh, Dean Witter or something like that, where I was like cold calling people. And I was like, at the end of that summer, I was like, definitively, this is another thing that I will not <laughs> be doing for the rest of my life because this is, this is not it. Um, but eventually ended up on Everybody Hates Chris as the uh, script coordinator. Okay. And I had you know, worked my way up to Which sort of- Which is a great thing to know. Yeah, it's a great skill to have. Mm-hmm. Um, being a writer's assistant, and script coordinator, mm-hmm. those are the those are the the jobs that I was really sort of worried about during the pandemic, okay. because really, because all of that usually filters from a writer's PA perspective. Right. You start as a writer's PA, you move up to a writer's assistant, then mm-hmm. move up to script coordinator. But in Zoom rooms, you don't need a writer's PA. You don't need somebody to get lunch because you're just turning off the camera and going to the refrigerator. Yep. So <laughs> those those entry level jobs are ones that a lot of us started out mm-hmm. doing, and you get to it's it's as good as well. I've never been to film school, but it was my film school. <laughs> it was my sort of TV school to be able to sit in the corner when they would allow you in the room as a writer's PA and just listen to the way writers who had been doing it for. 10, 15, 25 years, how they thought about story, how they broke story, how they wrote jokes, how sort of figuring out how their individual brains work and how the hive mind of a room works, whether it's super hierarchical or whether Mm -hmm. it's more laissez-faire, whatever it is, like those positions allow you to sort of see how it all works. So um, my first writer's assistant gig was on a show called Undeclared, which Judd Apatow did for Fox mm. after Freaks and Geeks and had like a murderer's row of uh, writers on that show. I'm sure. And, uh, he only has the best writers. <laughs> right. And sort of, you know, learned a lot from that process. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sort of started to realize, okay, in TV there's a path to becoming a writer. In features, like, okay, you can shoot something yourself or you mm-hmm. can wait for somebody to give you the money to shoot something. Yeah. Those are kind of... The two ways to do it, but as a as a in TV, you can be earning money as an assistant, learning the craft, and sort of build. I mean, like you know, thanks to pay up Hollywood and all these yeah. sorts of things, like earning a somewhat livable wage mm-hmm. that's going to get you uh, the relationships that you really need, because they're only going to hire people that they know and that they trust or who have been recommended by agents and, sure. and other writers that they know. So getting those relationships is huge if you want to sustain and break in and then sustain, you know, a career in writing. Which has been um, something I'm always talking to writers about is even though we're in this strike, it's actually, there's actually some positive things that come out of things like this. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that whole camaraderie, you know, thing about everybody has to come back together. Now, you and I have been talking about this for years. Here we are, mm. finally. You know what I mean? Exactly. So it's yeah. like, finally, finally. <laughs> no, you know what I mean? But finally, you get those those times to actually meet up with folks you've been yeah. talking about, meeting up with forever. And you were talking about before, you go out to the rallies, 
and you plan to walk around and you run into 900 people you ain't seen in right. three years and you're like, oh, I got to chop it up with you. It's <laughs> you great. And I mean? then not only those conversations, those conversations, I've literally almost every show that I've worked on from Writers PA to mm-hmm. Co-EP, I've seen people that I worked with along the way and had conversations with them. But then also, I know a lot of pre-WGA people who are coming out to the lines and like lots when are you shout going? out to y'all by the way yeah yes. thank you so much for coming out and but from their <clears> perspective <throat> and even from ours when are you going to get a chance to talk to vince gilligan or mm-hmm. whoever yeah but if you're on the line you might get into a conversation with somebody yep. who worked on your favorite show and a situation where it's not that they would never talk to you in another it's just that you wouldn't necessarily there's no face yeah, to them. yeah there's there you wouldn't necessarily cross paths with them right. Or have the opportunity, but if you're out on the line, like, oh, okay, you can talk to this person. And I know a lot of pre-WGA people who have taken advantage of that, which is great for them. Um, I'm encouraging people to do, you remember we had to let our agents go? Mm-hmm. And there was that just weird, like, eerie, like it is right now, feeling yeah. in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, but I noticed a lot of my friends and, like, you know, the, all the booths, things were coming out, the WJ booths and staffing yeah. booths and whatever, the mm-hmm. Pay Up Hollywood, all that stuff came a little later. But <clears throat> there was a lot happening where I was noticing and I was encouraging because I probably have, like, seven or eight mentees who I work with. Yeah. And I would tell them, it was like, go on Twitter, put your bio in a cool way. We'll go over it a couple times. We'll get it right. Mm-hmm. Blast it. I'll boost it. Everybody was getting meetings. You That's keep, right. Like people like you were like, oh, I got 10 minutes. I read 10 pages. You yeah. know, like things like that were happening mm-hmm. a lot. And I feel like now, now that, you know, we've kind of slowed down. I love that first month has been crazy. Yeah. Now might be the time to reach out to those people you really like and be like, hey, I'm this yeah. type of writer. If you feel like you might have 10 minutes to read whatever, mm-hmm. check out my first 10 pages. Right. Somebody might say yes. Somebody might be surprised. Yeah. Somebody you might know? say yes. And again, even just getting half hour with them mm-hmm. to sit down for a coffee or whatever the jewels that you can pick up right. you know will be will be keys for you to if anything give you hope to keep going because right. when when you're in those early stages it's dark you know i there were many a week when i'm like made a pot of black eyed peas on <laughs> sunday hot dogs was, again that was like <laughs> no bread that was like <laughs> breakfast lunch and dinner for the week you know what i mean so yeah. um and then stretches of not going not getting work and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um so yeah getting getting that encouragement is also key for the folks that are breaking in or sort of coming into their first few jobs and that sort how, of thing. how did you finally get your first Staff, were you still writing with your boy or did you start writing by yourself by this point? I was, like I said, I, we'd always have stuff together. Then I mm-hmm. always had something that I was writing myself. Mm-hmm. So I always had a sample, of a feature or something that I was sort of working on. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up on Everybody Hates Chris, <clears throat> the first season of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had worked with Ali Leroy, who ran it uh, before, uh, just in like sort of like a, with another couple of comedians working at, at, at out of somebody's house. Mm-hmm. And uh, found out that before they, didn't. they were called mini rooms and shit, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, was, <laughs> little kind of, I was like say, development was rooms and kind of like a little development. Yeah, room. yeah, yeah. But um, I've done many of those. <laughs> and you know, I, I was the assistant for that. Mm-hmm. Took notes, and Ali was like, he would look over the notes and be like, "Oh yeah, you're on time." He was like, "You're on time," and the notes are good. Nice. Like you're getting everything we're saying. You're organizing it, all that sort of stuff. So when I found out about everybody hates Chris, um. Reached out to him. They did, had, didn't have an assistant on the pilot, so I came in as a script coordinator. And it mm-hmm. was funny because I 
it was potentially that job or a job on according to Jim, I think. Oh yeah. And I looked at the landscape at according to Jim and it had been on for like five years or something. Yeah. So I was like, but if I'm gonna get a script two seasons left, right? But also if I'm gonna get a script, I gotta <laughs> get in line behind mm. like five other assistants that right. have been there since the beginning, mm-hmm. whereas I'm sort of on the ground floor of Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah. And it, I sort of felt like <clears throat> this is a story about a black kid going to a white school in the 80s. Like, if I can't write this, <laughs> maybe I should pack up and uh, <laughs> I don't think home. you know anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we were talking about like bringing something organically mm-hmm. that you can sort of speak to. Um, so about halfway through the season – the great thing about Ali is that he allowed the assistants to pitch as well. So, mm-hmm. like, and a lot of times we would pitch on paper. So we had, there were, like, maybe 50 pitches on paper that we had for episodes. Okay. And Chris, the only one that Chris was feeling was one that I had pitched. Wow. So out of, like, the 50. <clears throat> so I was, like, super excited just at the prospect of them buying a, a story episode, you know, the story idea from me. So I was great, and that was, like, on a Thursday. Then a Friday, I think they were like, oh, we're going to let you write it. Wow. Even better. Hmm. Amazing. First season. First season. Wow. Um, oh, but you guys were doing 22 episodes. So yeah, we were doing 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it wasn't no 10 episodes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but um, so then Monday we pitched it to the uh, studio and network, I think. The pitch out. Mm-hmm. And then Monday night I sort of went home and did a loose outline for myself. Tuesday started writing. And every time I, I took over an office, every time I came out of the office, Ali was like, how's it going? Like, you know, I'm doing this going all right. We had, <laughs> we had some production snafu, so we had to, like, flop a hiatus week and get this other script together. Mm-hmm. So we were behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. So I told him, you know, I know we're behind. I was like, I figure I'll do an act a day mm-hmm. and then do a, a day to polish and then turn it in. He was like, turn it in tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're an assistant. You're, you still got to do your duties. You do at this. <clears throat> you're at the service of mm-hmm. the showrunner. So I'm like, tomorrow, boom, there it is. Yeah. Worked on it, boom, from the time I opened Final Draft on Tuesday to the time that I turned it in on Wednesday. It was like 24 hours. Handed it in. Chris read it. He was like, oh, it's not bad. So to me, I was Mm. like, not bad from the funniest guy in America after a day. Like, you know, (laughs) I'd like to thank you. So he was in the room? He was in the room. Yeah, he wasn't in the room all the time, but he was in the room a lot on season one. You know, it's his his POV Mm -hmm. and um, Ali sort of interpreting that. So, uh... So that happened, and at that point, I had been out in L.A. 10 years. Um, Y'all hear that? 10 years, 10 bitch. years. Five, <laughs> five years working, focused on features. Now it was five years pivoting to TV. And like I said, they told me I was going to get the episode. They were going to get the story on Friday. Pitched it Monday, wrote it Tuesday. They read it Wednesday. Jesus Thursday, they bumped Christ. me up to staff. What? So They bumped you up to staff? So it during was During the like, first season. During the first season. It was like... Wow. Overnight, it, you know, it was like a ten-year overnight sensation. You knocked it out the park on that script, <laughs> and if that's the case, wow, that's so, pretty good. So, um, it shout seemed, out to Ali. That's my shout dude. Out to Ali. That's what's up. It seemed like overnight, but mm-hmm. like it was ten years in the making right. of grinding and like learning the craft mm-hmm. and reading all the books and and taking a being class. Being a script coordinator, so you read all those scripts. Being a script coordinator, being a writer's assistant, being right. a writer's PA, right. having you know. Indian food stains in your car, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Smelling like Similac. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then from there, you know, the show was was big the first year, so I was able to get reps, mm-hmm. and then switched over to Las Vegas, which was an hour long. Uh, after that, and how that happened, did you was, stay on there? You just stayed that. I one was there season? that one season, oh, okay. so it was you know it wasn't exactly the 
perfect fit for me. But it was a foot in the door. Yeah. So um, I was able to get reps and sort of move on from there. Mm-hmm. But the th- um, the thing that got me the Las Vegas gig, and people are like, well, how'd you transition from... Yeah, from half hour to one. Half hour to hour, you know, on your second thing. Well, <clears throat> my partner and I had been rewriting. We had a manager at one point mm-hmm. and had pitched him something and we're doing rewrites and rewrites on this idea that we didn't really love, but that was sort of commercial. Because mm-hmm. we had pitched the guy like five ideas. He didn't like any of them. So we were like, this is going to like one of these ideas. And we came up with like 50 sort of one-liners. He's like, he's going to like one of these. Right. Pitched him. There were a couple that he liked, but we weren't fully invested in them. Okay. So we ended up I, doing exactly what you're talking about. rewrites and rewrites on this one script. I forget what it was called. And I just sort of needed a palate cleanser after that. And I was like, I don't really want to write another pilot. I don't want to write a feature. I just need to get something out. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, there was an idea I had for a short story about this incident that happened when I was in the Oakland airport years earlier. <laughs> so I took that and took the reality of it and just kind of blew it out 50% and added sort of this wrinkle, like sure. what if this happened? Right. And then I, I was like, well, people are reading 30-page, half-hour specs. What if <laughs> I came up with a group of short stories mm. that was a similar length? If they're going to spend that much time reading, right. maybe they'll read this. So I ended up doing this, this sort of story packet called 80% Truth. And the, <laughs> the, the intro to it was like, you know, if you said we as writers are liars, we would get offended. But that's essentially what we're doing. We're like making up stuff. We're lying to a certain extent. Right. But we're also, there's a, if there's enough truth in it, then it rings true and people respond to it. So with that story about the airport and like five other short, short, short stories, mm-hmm. put together this packet. And as I was coming off of Chris and had my agents, they were like, well, what do you have? You know, I got a scrub spec and I got a this and a that. And I was like, you know what? I also have this packet of short stories. They liked the other material and they thought it was strong, but they were like, this packet, these short stories really have your voice coming through. Because that was in the day where I wasn't writing original pilots. Everybody wanted pilots of other shows. So you would have I got my cold case and my entourage and my Boston Legal and my shit. I understand. Exactly. So they were like, these short stories really show your voice and Mm -hmm. your uniqueness and the things that are great about you. So that ended up um, going to the people at Las Vegas. Somebody read it over there and then ended up going in and and getting that gig. Mm. Interesting. How long were you on that one? I was on there two two seasons up until the end. So the the, okay. the last James Con season, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Jimmy, and yeah. then we had Tom Selleck for a, a year after mm-hmm. that. So uh, two very two two very different years. Like the first year, we didn't have a room. It was sort of independent study kind of thing. With mm. as a staff writer, they'd pair you with an EP to sort of develop your episode. And then the second year, because we were going to have this pregnancy arc. We did have a room, so it was it was the two years were very different, and that bumped bumped up against the strike mm. in oh seven oh eight, and ended up yeah. kind of killing the show, you know, because uh, it was killed, all killed it, a bunch of shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah, which is like <clears throat> you're saying is going to be interesting coming out of this one to see what the industry does as these streamers are sort of reshuffling or 
some some are gobbling up other ones or whatever's going to happen. Do you do you have a overall or do, have you had one yet? An overall? I deal? don't. Are you okay. offering me an overall? Well, I'm thinking about it. I got four or five dollars for you. You know what I'm saying? You got to work exclusively. Well, we're going to talk to my lawyer. We'll have my lawyer. Uh, ain't nobody. Ain't nobody. <laughs> but I'm no, curious. I know I've heard a few of my friends saying they're worried, like they've been suspended so far. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. I like I said, like I'm more like okay, let me make sure that I keep the momentum going because I was. Uh, you know, it ebbs and flows yeah. in in any career, and I was I'm I've been on a good roll here the past five or so years. So you know, just wanting to keep that momentum up, and I know that after the first one or the last one, not the first one, um, <laughs> it definitely set my career back, put put a lot of things on hold, and uh, especially when you're at a lower level mm-hmm. and you don't necessarily have a ton of those relationships, and was going through a, a change in agents and all that sort of stuff because I was with William Morris before the Endeavor takeover. Oh, really? So like that, all that was happening right after uh, in 08 as well, I believe. So um, that also made things a little bit tricky for my sure. transition to keep sort of the momentum going and things. Hmm. Interesting. Got so many questions. Um, <laughs> no, no, in a, in, a, in a really good way because – Things are like, so you and I kind of came in at the same time, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So it's like just kind of seeing the, you, like I said, you stayed in the network thing and I stayed on the outside for a long time until yeah. 2017, uh, 2018. <clears throat> and so it's just interesting to see that trajectory. Have you, did you ever had, get stuck in that? Like most of my friends, specifically in the last 10 years, mm. and you know a lot of those same friends, <laughs> they come in and they have to do staff two or three times or the oh. same they had to do co co you know i may whatever, i may hold the record for the most uh staff writer episodes really? of all time <laughs> where are you at five or something or oh i mean as far as number of i'm probably close to a hundred as far as like episodes at staff writer because i was on i was a staff writer on everybody hates chris switched over to drama mm-hmm. was a staff writer on las vegas they were going to bump me up halfway through the season but then the strike hit then went to work, did a stint with Tyler Perry at uh, his oh, first like. I keep forgetting you were on one of those runs. Yeah, right? House of Pain for what? Yeah. It was like. The, were you on the season one? No, no, no. no I was on. Oh, the, you were the on the when first, they became Writers Guild. When the they first it. Guild yeah, yeah. crew that they had, okay. I was out there, which was, you know. Yeah. It's, that's, <laughs> a whole other, that's, that's a whole other episode. podcast. That's another. <laughs> that's part two. But um, <laughs> Trust me, Kelly's went in quite a few times. About yeah, it. it's, a, it's a different <laughs> world out there. But, you know, like. The thing that I will say about it, like the people in the room were great. It mm-hmm. was fun. It was like boot camp because every day you're breaking Boy, an you episode. You can't write fast on those shows. You fucked up. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing where it's like it taught me professionalism because it was like what, whatever you're pitching, they're going to adjust it. Right. Whether you like it or not, at the end of the day, everyone has agreed on what this scene should be. Mm-hmm. It's your job to write the best version of that scene that you can right. in the tone, in the voice, in whatever. But but it's not your show. It doesn't say Kevin A. Garnett Studios on the outside. There you go. So wait, wait, is that? it doesn't. Yeah, not yeah, yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to be able to trust your gut. Like mm-hmm. you pitch what you pitch. It gets adjusted as in any room. And then you take you go forth and, and write the best thing you can. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> let it be what it's going to be. So that was it. Was a great, you know, breaking something, punching something up, or doing an actual draft. 
you know, talk about five fast, to six. Talk about fast turnaround. Yeah, <laughs> you do. I mean, like if you if you left on a Friday night and were assigned a script, and then if you didn't, if you weren't there Monday, they'd look at you like. Crazy. Well, what is wrong with you? <laughs> this guy must be on drugs. He's slow. <laughs> so I did like 40 episodes out there as staff. Did a thing at BT where I was running the room, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, the head writer and then everyone mm-hmm. else. So that was like another handful of episodes. And then I did a couple of network things where I was sort of on that diversity carousel. Where it was like, okay, we don't have money for you, but we do have money for you if you want to be, down. if you come down and you're, and it's like, you know, it was a situation where there we did not have 500 shows. So it was like, do you want to work or do you not want to work? Okay. Let me ask you this. Did you ever run across, oh, you were working on BET and you were running the room or you are the co-EP. Yeah, you're probably ESE, <laughs> you know what I mean, on this level. Did you ever run up against some version of something like that? Not really. I mean, it was because I was a staff writer for mm-hmm. so long. It was like, it was just like, <laughs> I was like fighting for scraps, yeah, you know what I mean? And didn't, <clears throat> and needed to work. It needed the money. So I know a lot of people were like, well, they would they would sit out and they wouldn't take the job. And then God bless, good for you. And yeah. enjoy, uh, hopefully you're getting <laughs> high ratings on your Uber. But like, I had to, had to do the work and um, whatever level. But then finally, by the time I got to Dynasty, I felt like mm-hmm. I came in at uh, Story Editor and then I got a bump mid-season of that. So then season two, I was coming back as co-producer. So mm-hmm. I felt like, and the great thing about it, the rough taking the rough way up the mountain was when I come in at these levels, now it's like my skill set exceeds what level I was at. So it was like, oh, you're coming in at, co-producer here but like you have the experience of like you've shot a bunch of shorts Mm -hmm. and you've been on staff a bunch of places and you have done single cam and multi-cam and one hour and Mm -hmm. commercials and uh web series and all these different things so it's like you're coming with a toolbox that's a lot more full than somebody who else who might be at your level i i always think about like i'm one of those people I'm always encouraged. Everybody wants to be the writer's assistant and all that. I'm like, I'm telling you, you actually, you don't even realize the advantage you have if you learn how to be the script coordinator. You understand why all the colors of the scripts are called something. Yeah. You understand how to format things the way that we don't, how to mm-hmm. deal with talking to the studio, the production, whatever. Right. Like it's such an advantage that's going to help you to mm-hmm. get you ready when you start producing your episodes. Right. It's, it's such a shortcut. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is just knowing, just also just knowing the flow of production like knowing who needs what when scheduling all that shit clearances Mm -hmm. um okay the you know locations just they departments just need their information you know they don't necessarily even need the whole script but if i know i'm looking for a circus tent Mm -hmm. as a locations manager they don't necessarily even need to read all the rest of it. They need to know how many extras, how big is the place. Right. And then like, okay, where does it need to be in location to uh, base camp or whatever? Right. Like, okay. And then is they can move or is it there? Yeah, and then <laughs> they can go out and do their job, mm-hmm. whether it's a wardrobe, how many days is it? What kind of changes is the main character getting their bangs cut? Is that's a big <laughs> right. thing in the episode? Like, okay, like we need to know those things. And if we know them ahead of time, even without the script, we can start to work on right. what we need to work on. Now, let me ask you a question. So I was asking you earlier about the themes you and your writing partner were writing to at first. 
so like when I describe myself as a writer, I talk about first of all, I always tell my story about growing up, you know, in the hood and my mm-hmm. neighborhood was like my school was the movie Dangerous Minds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I grew up in that neighborhood. Yeah. And imagine if you saw the movie Dope, that was me. Oh yeah. <laughs> Except Love that. I wasn't punk, I was more mod. <laughs> you uh-huh. know what I mean? And so the 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 I was that underdog kid in my neighborhood so i write underdog stories today in the murder death kill world you know what i mean but Mm -hmm. i tell that story of why that's my theme Mm -hmm. i'm just curious of what are the things you do or how do you describe yourself when you're in meetings in general um i like to deal with sort of like i grew up playing team sports so and the one great thing about that to me was that it was always like a found family you'd go through the fire whether you like these people or not You'd find common ground. You had common experiences. And when you were through practices or whatever, when you're in the game and the actual foxhole of it all, you know that you can look at that person and they'll have your back, even if you don't like that person at all. So the idea of found families are things that I love to sort of like a disparate group of people sort of coming together for a common cause. And the way that that, um, in every situation, like, we can all sort of find common ground. And if we're working towards the same goal, like I, a lot of the stories I have are sort of um, found families, but like with real stakes mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of an underdog stuff as True. well, sort of the bad news bears that's, at all. That's one of the things that Ben and I connected very much on, like <clears throat> the, whole, the whole model at BMP Blue Monday was about underdog stories. Mm-hmm. So... When when I tell people like I'd be on the phone with agents or whatever and they'd be asking about like staffing the shows and I'd help them staff the greatest and um, um, the uh, the Bass Reef show mm-hmm. and we were I was trying to explain to like some of the people were like why is that under the, the Muhammad Ali like we're talking we're talking about how we became Cash how we went from Cassius to Ali yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean that is a certain time and then. He was a complete underdog. How is he going to beat Sonny Liston? Like, that's right. the whole first season. You know, the next season might mm-hmm. be George Foreman for whatever. And so, um, and then, of course, Bass Reeves, like, duh. How in the world did this black illiterate, yeah. <laughs> couldn't even read, you mm-hmm. know, man in the 1800s, how did he take down 3,000 outlaws right. over everybody else? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's an underdog, you know? Yeah. So, so and that is I think that's why we connected so well is because I I only write things like that. You mm-hmm. know, those are the stories I'm drawn to is where's the oh it's the little boy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's uh-huh. the underdog, not the father. It's mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I'm always trying to find where that that person is. That's the one I connect to the most. You know? Yeah, and it's almost like like when you watch certain shows, it's mm-hmm. like you watch Mad Men and it's like, oh, like Peggy right. is the yeah. one that you sort of yeah. gravitate towards or, you know, whatever the show is, like mm-hmm. you find it's again like seeing yourself in other people. Like, and I think as minorities, we're used to doing that. Right. Whereas, like the majority of people, sometimes they, I think they're getting better at it. But I, I remember, I had sort of an experiment. I did an experiment, right? So I, it ended up being an experiment. I'm telling. I wrote a, <laughs> I wrote a pilot. Uh, my roommate in college was Pakistani, mm-hmm. so I wrote a pilot about a black guy and a Pakistani guy, baggage handlers at O'Hare. The black guy has a gambling problem and he steals from people's bags to sort of like help pay off his thing. I thought it was great, gave it to reps and stuff and they were like, yeah, it's solid, but it, they they didn't really, hmm. they weren't crazy about it. 
next pilot as an experiment, I wrote a I wrote a thing called Day Labor about middle aged white guy <laughs> having a midlife crisis on a dare slash bet. He goes out to work with the day laborers outside of Home Depot, uh, and mm. then ends up sort of falling love in love with that. But sees that their world is not perfect. It's not like that kind of story. But turn that in, and they loved it. People loved mm. it. Point of view. Yeah, and they 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 could see themselves in that, but they couldn't see themselves in the black guy and the Pakistani guy. But right. they, so it's sad but true. Uh, you know. Mm-hmm. I understand that. I remember um, I tell people all the time about. How and I'll, I'll let you go in a second <clears throat> about how whenever I get a new rep, I always tell them, you know, I know you might have read this this script or this script of me, and it probably had a lot of black characters in there. But mm-hmm. please know, I'm more than that, you know. And we live in a black world. We live in a white world. You know right. what I mean? And so don't assume that we, you know, my husband's white. You know, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And I always say, I always end it with this too. I always say, you ever notice how British? Australian, South African actors, whether they're white or black or whatever, can do our accents like you don't even know they weren't British, you know? Mm-hmm. I said because they're inundated with it. In, inundated? Inundated. 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 Yeah. Never said the word. Because we're, we're in, they're inundated with us. I said, that's how we are with you. Yeah. So, so believe able. me, we know you. Don't be surprised when I can write yeah. you. I'm surprised when y'all can write us. Yeah, it's funny because <laughs> like, I was talking to somebody. I'm like, you can, if you're sort of in the Hollywood world as a minority, as a black man, you can't really go a day without running into people that don't look like you. Facts. Whereas if you are white or whatever, you can. There's, there are days and months probably, yeah. you can go from your house to work to the store and, all that, and not yeah. run into anybody who doesn't look like you. Yeah, literally. And yeah, so we're, you know, we're, we're in the position and you sort of have to take whatever might be seen as a disadvantage, use it as an advantage, right. and sort of go to the fact that like yes I can understand all these different worlds because I've been in these different worlds and right. I've had experiences there and can uh, move there and write those things mm-hmm. it's true it's true um, Dynasty so then you sold that show like, this year that was this year yeah that's dope that's dope um, what's next for you if we come out of this strike what do you think if we come out of this strike alive uh, you know I'm really trying to Get this show on the air. It's the first pilot I've sold. Super excited about that. Um, at this point in my career, uh, trying to really do the best I can to get that thing on the air. I also have a couple of feature projects that I'm working on, uh, stories that are really close to me uh, that I'm really excited about. One, I'm like, I have a I have a draft done and and need to polish it, and the other one is sort of in the early stages mm-hmm. that I'm working with a friend on. So, you know. Really telling stories. Um, one thing about my career that sort of hurt me early on but has helped me now is that I always am doing something different than what I did last time. Hmm. So if I wrote a, a comedy last time, this one's going to be an action thing. If I wrote an action thing last time, I'm going to do like a hard drama. If it's a hard drama, then it's going to be I have a version of else. that. The only thing that's for me, and you probably do the same thing in your own way, I still it's still an underdog story so yeah. it might be sci-fi it might be a horror it might be a drama in the 1800s but it's still from the underdog, underdog point of view mm-hmm. so you always see my theme in every 40 scripts that I have you still see it all the time you know what I mean yeah you're still sort of seeing that no matter what the, with stuff that I'm writing no matter what the odds are you can sort of 
pull in your people and okay. get over whatever that hump that is. Okay. Going back to sort of the team sports kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's what's up. Cool, man. Well, yeah. thank you. Oh, yeah. For hanging out with a brother for Absolutely. a couple hours over here. Absolutely. <laughs> My pleasure. Indeed, indeed. That's what's up, man. Thank you for lunch. That was very nice uh-huh. of you. Appreciate it. Of course. Indeed. Um, I got to get Chris Derrick some lunch. He know by. Where can people follow you? Where are you? Twitter, Instagram? Where, where are you at? Uh, I'm at Garnettish on everything. You don't have to follow me. But uh, I'm on Garnettish, G-A-R-N-E-T-T-I-S-H, uh, on Twitter, Instagram. Garnettish. What? That's it. Just just Garnettish. Yeah, that's it. Ah, okay. That's I uh, yeah. I mm. you don't really too much. It was at the point when that like a show forced me to get on there, so I got on there. But you know, (laughs) (laughs) you ain't taking no photos, putting it on Twitter, Instagram, Uh, nothing. I'll do Instagram. I mean, I probably got less than fifty posts on Instagram. (laughs) Uh, I tweet every once in a while. Okay. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, Ain't nothing yeah. but drama on there. I know. But I'm, send me that link we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. To the I'll other guy. That. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Awesome. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You can find me on Twitter. I say Twitter like I'm cool. Um, <laughs> at Hilliard Guest, Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, whatever. Same thing. Um, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. We're all over the world. <clears throat> please go on um, screenwritersrr.com. Uh, we got T-shirts on there. We have our Patreon page. You can donate uh, $5, $7, $900. You know, <laughs> see how I jump and try yeah. to get a breath. <laughs> um, we appreciate that stuff. Uh, we do have our big June 20th at Dances with Films. Um, Danceswithfilm.com, I think it is. You can go there. get uh, You can get tickets now. We're going to be having June 20th for all those people live screenwriters rant room the whole wu-tang clan myself chris <laughs> Linnell white carl seaton uh and a bunch of special guests hopefully we're trying to get malcolm spellman and oh, nice. janine sherman barwell a couple of people out we'll see heavy hitters yeah yeah you know charles um, murray you know people people to come through we'll see if they come through um so it will be some special guests coming through um june 23rd two o'clock at um Chinese TCL Theater right there at Hollywood Highland. Okay. Um, live, it's free. So, hey, come on through. So, I'll be posting that and stuff like that. Um, thank you again, Kev. Good Absolutely. to see you, man. Good to thank hang you, with Hillary. you. You're yes. hell of a dope dude. Thank really you. dig you. Um, joining me for 2023. For, Look oh, at yeah. him. He's keep waiting it, for that shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even in 2023. <laughs> Y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room. On the show, we keep it real. We keep it opinionated. We keep it what, Kev? 2023. Yeah. Peace, y'all. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminished and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the rent room.